0: This is The Other 51, conversations with writers of all genres about writing. I'm Brian Moritz. Today, a roundtable discussion with Drs. Lauren Smith and Shannon McCarthy. Dr. Lauren Smith and Dr. Shannon McCarthy, welcome to The Other 51. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Thanks, Thank having. you. We're having. We're happy to be here.
0: And this is uh, our, my first kind of roundtable, I guess, discussion. And I was throwing out ideas for people to have on, and you guys were both like, like Shrek at the beginning, like Donkey at the beginning of Shrek, like, pick me, pick me, pick me. I'm like, yeah, game on. We'll do this. It's like, it's great. It's like an IACS reunion without bacon or beer or any of the fun stuff. But
1: we're
2: all here, um, so wh- which is which is garbage. Us, one <laughs> of us missing from IAX this year. So I'm not naming names, Shannon. But um, you know, yeah.
0: Yeah. And it was in Um, Indiana. So there was a, there, there was a whole lot to see. There was peanut butter beer, which I didn't have, sadly. But, um, it just means I have to make a return trip to
2: Bloomington. Yeah. You missed. It was pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. So, so I will
1: say there, there was actually a legitimate reason. And I think if I tried to go, my head would have exploded. Um, that was our, the weekend between our last week of classes and finals. Um, and I was so far behind from knee surgery and getting married that I think I probably would have just, like, had a complete breakdown if I tried to go. But I'm going to do my best to make it next year.
2: Very That's cool. on the docket. If your, assuming... head had, if your head had exploded, we would have put it back together with bacon.
0: Exactly.
1: I mean. And
0: glued it together with the been... peanut butter beer.
1: There you go. Oh, I like where our heads are at, I like
0: it. I all right. like it. So before we get to all kind of like our major topics for today, um, there is an elephant—an elephant in the room that we need to address, and we need to get this out of the way early on. And um, Lauren, I um you have been—and uh, it's been—it's uh, been widespread among IX people on Twitter and anybody who who sees it. Your absolute virulent anti HGTV <laughs> campaign that you've been waging uh, on the social media for years. And I, I, I guess just explain yourself, really. I mean, how dare you?
2: How dare I? Because it's crap. <laughs> End of story. I mean, what what show do you want to start with? We could start with House Hunters, which we all know is totally staged and ooh, the drama, which one are they gonna pick? Is it not gonna be the empty house for once? And then all of their ridiculous requests, you know, I I need a million dollar house, but my budget is, you know, two hundred thousand. And they need their granite and their entertaining space and all of this other stuff, and it's just oh. Or you could go over to that other show with What's his, I don't even know their names. Ch- Tarek and Christina. Mm. It's the same thing all the time. Are they? Gonna oh, the be- house. The house flippers. Yeah. Are they going to be able to flip it? Is it going to come under budget? Oh, let me bite my nails. And of course, Christina's going to do everything she wants, even when Tarek's like, say, "No, you can't do that." So really, it's just a whole bunch of crap, is what it is.
0: What's what's amazing about this is for all your anti-HDTV stuff, you know a lot about these programs, so. um
2: my mother is an HGTV devotee. So, so I do watch HGTV. I just, you know, I think the only one I really like is House Hunters International because it lets me dream about maybe it is possible to own a second home in another location. Haha. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But uh, so it, it's always funny because like me and uh, our mutual friend and Lauren, your colleague, Galen and Clavio will sometimes start back and forth thing about some ridiculous HGTV stuff. And then you'll chime in with a, you guys are all idiots. What are you doing? Um And it, it's fabulous. So Shannon, where do you fall on the age on, on our HGTV? Are you on the side of the angels with me or are you on Lauren's side?
1: <laughs> well, I truthfully, I have not had cable in like five years. And so the only time I see HGTV is like, at my dentist's office, um, and so I will say I can't stand House Hunters, and I usually try to have them switch the channel, um, <laughs> although I will say every once in a while, there'll be something interesting, um, like, related to kitchens and things like that. It at least gives me ideas. You know, it's like in grad school, when I had, like, $4 to my name, um, I could at least dream about... Oh, one day I'm gonna have a nice kitchen. One day, maybe, assuming I finish my dissertation ever. Um, so I'm kind of just like very meh on it. I all think right. I used I think I used to like it before they had all the fake BS reality shows. I'm
2: gonna I'm gonna make one other point. When this all started, it was when we were doing that roundtable research talk every week, right. and you and Galen and Jimmy Sanderson would get all be talking about HGTV and I being the only woman would be like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> why, why aren't we talking about sports? So that's sort of where this all, all stemmed from. Second, yeah. if you actually want to show to hate watch, I think it's on the DIY network. It's the deck building house.
0: Ooh, That sounds fun.
2: Oh, Ooh. it's, it's all of these people with these amazing homes that build. I kid you not, like three, not, no, not three. Like, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar decks onto their homes and when you come out and they're like Uh, those are the people with like that's just more money than sense like why would you do that they're like I can't function on my current deck because look if I reach one arm out I can touch the side of my house and then if I reach my other arm out I'm at the end of my deck and this just won't do and then they built these massive two three-story decks that always have like the built in gourmet kitchen and they all have to have a fire element. And you're talking what I mean, one had an elevator. I think that's when I had to walk away. Finally, <laughs> We were hate watching. I was like, I can't do this anymore, but it's a great, great home show that will really get you hate watching. It's, it's a good one.
0: Excellent. As someone who has a deck, I don't know why you'd want more deck. I, I, d- any deck is just a pain in the butt to do. But anyway, we've gone. We, I'm
2: thinking
1: about all the staining and all that. Ugh, no, thank you.
0: I mean, I mean, I assume if you have like an eight-story deck with an elevator, you can pay someone to stain it. But anyway, we we hey, we, we, care, we move. We, we, we move on to more. Uh, I guess more relevant. I don't know. Matters. Um But uh, we want to. I wanted to, to talk to you guys about like, research and academic writing and you know, we're all kind of at different stages in our academic career. And so I guess start Lauren, we can start with you kind of talk a little bit about how you got to your current gig at Indiana and a little bit about the research that you're doing now.
2: I don't even know where to start that conversation. So, um, my professional background is broadcast writing and I wrote probably about six years for, um, both television and concert promotion, um, on the, on the promotion side. So, um, you know, broadcast writing and promoting different programs, promoting different events, promoting different people, you know, promoting our sports personalities and, and all that other good stuff is, is sort of my background. And um, I got my master's during that time. And then I remember at my last job that I had, I said something to my boss about I would really love to go back and get a Ph.D. and do research. And she looked at me and said, why would you waste your time? And that's pretty much when I knew when I was I was done in the television world. So I went back to school. I got my Ph.D., um I started out as a political communication person because I thought, oh, this will be interesting and it'll make me sound smart. And then when I was going up to AEJ that first year, my soon to be dissertation chair came up to me and said, you know, I know who you are and and I know your background and I'm doing this paper on beach volleyball, would you be interested? And I said, wait, you can write on sports? We're done with politics. So um, (laughs) I got my PhD at Alabama, I got a job at Auburn, I was there for six years um, and then the opportunity came up to come up to Indiana um, which, you know, just had a much bigger program, a better program, a dedicated sports focus program. And so, um, you know, that was kind of a no brainer move.
0: So, and what kind of research are you working, are you doing now? What's your current agenda?
2: Um, anything that sounds interesting. So I really, I focus a lot on gender. Um, I focus a lot on portrayals. That's sort of where everything sort of centers around, um, and so I have a bunch of projects kind of in the works um, dealing with that, um, looking a little bit at the protest, the national anthem protest and athlete activism as well. Um, but with the lab we have here, it's allowed me to, to really move into the realm of media effects versus content. So, um, you know, I'm doing some studies that look at visual attention in photographs and visual attention in Instagram, which has been really amazing to do um, and really a lot of fun.
0: Uh, Shannon, kind of the same overarching question. I know what's your background and how did you get to where you are now?
1: Um, so I kind of, um, I kind of have always been on the sports side. I was an athlete. I swam in college. Um, and I unfortunately graduated the, uh, 08, 09, which was really not the best time to come out with very, very, uh, little experience. And so I knew I wanted, I, I loved being with college students. Um, I love being able to, you know, kind of, i've mentored a lot of my younger teammates um and so i thought it was going to really go into um, more academics and athletics and so i was like well i'm just i'm gonna go get a master's get in higher education and then be able to really transition into that um and when i was about done with that um i got an offer to stay and do my phd it was it was one of those offers that with the funding and with things i had started to become more interested in, I really couldn't say no. Um, and so kind of looking at that, I started my PhD on the sport management side. Um, and about halfway through my advisor was offered a position, uh, at another university and it was a university that I wasn't going to be able to do a PhD in, uh, or at. And so I had to start looking at switching programs Um, and I ended up staying, um, and I did my master's and my PhD at the University of Arkansas. I ended up actually switching over to marketing. Um, but I have a, my emphasis is in sports and social media. Um, and those are actually the two things that I study. Um, and so I came out of that and I graduated in 2016. And I got a job at the University of Central Missouri, Go Mules. Um, and so I've been there for two years now. I've been teaching a couple different classes. I've really been enjoying teaching marketing research. Uh, just because I do get with different groups, I get to work with different organizations. In the fall, we're looking to uh, to uh, work with uh, one of the athletic departments um, and do some research for them, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, and I'm finally now getting back to teaching uh sports marketing so it's really nice to kind of finally get into my groove and get into teaching a lot of the subjects that are really uh more informed by my research that are things that are really what i want to focus in and what i really care about so that's kind of how i got to where i am
0: and and you are i must be said publicly you are my stat rabbi
1: (laughs) i I have my i will say that was one thing at uva marketing um I took a lot of stats classes, like an insane amount. So I have my moments where I'm helpful.
0: <laughs> so one thing, I, one reason I wanted to have you guys both on and kind of in a round table, because um, I find it very interesting that you were both college athletes. Uh, and Lauren, you're still kicking butt as an Ironman finisher and a triathlete and you know, all around awesome physical athlete. Um, and I'm wondering, uh, how much, cause you, having gone into kind of studying sports from an academic perspective and even kind of working professionally in it, how much, do, what, how much does your experience as a kind of a high level athlete, how much does that influence in color how you, your work? How does it influence kind of like your worldview or how you research or, just kind of like your, your, I don't know, your, your view of sports.
2: Um, for me at least in a couple different ways. Um, you know, I think really right now I look at, I'm able to look at the media of the sports that I'm interested in and see where there's still shortcomings. Um, but then i and so, you know, I'm like, these are questions that need to be answered. And then when I listen to my friends talk about, uh, you know, different Instagram accounts or different, um, sport-focused accounts, hearing what they like and what they don't, because sometimes what they're saying they like is contrary to what the research, you know, the research is saying these portrayals of women are, are bad and, and not good, and women should be portrayed in a different manner. But when I actually talk to, you know, my, my friends that are into marathons and triathlons, that doesn't necessarily always hold true, um, which, which is really kind of where I've started to go with the more effects research, because if these women who are athletes are, are not bothered by things that we've laid out in the literature to say, this is what you should be bothered by, then is there a disconnect? Or is there, you know, a meeting point that we can come to where most people will be happy? Um, you know, and, and from my own standpoint, too, it makes me a little bit more purposeful in what I post on social media, because, you know, I want to break these that we've seen with female athletes in media and, and post them in ways that I want to see women athletes portray really active, engaged in um, working at their sport. Um, and so a lot of that sort of drives that research, especially with gender. Um,
0: so what are some of those things? I'm curious, just to follow up real quick. What are some of those uh, things that like you see in the literature that should be have a, an impact, should bother people and that? And kind of in, in talking to your friends and talking to other people they're not bothered by.
2: So. Probably the big one, the big one. so the literature lays out they say that women are very underrepresented in sports media. So when you look across all mediums, women in, in sports media are not receiving the amount of coverage that men are. Um, and that's sort of agreed upon with with what I'm hearing. everybody says, you know I wish I wish the Iron Man account would post more women. I wish so and so would post more women. Um, but then we talk about things like women are always portrayed as women first, athletes second, they're highlighting their femininity they're highlighting their sexuality they're highlighting their role as a mother yet when the Venus not sorry I'm sorry not Venus the Serena Williams Vanity Fair cover came out uh, where she was pregnant on the cover all of my athlete friends were like I love this this is amazing um, there's a track athlete that ran pregnant and all of my you know female friends were like this is amazing this is this is wonderful and and sort of that disconnect Um, I think from the literature is where they say, you know, portraying an athlete as a mother is bad. Um, She's more than a mother. She's more than this. Um, At least for my age group and my age bracket, a lot of those women are mothers. So they're seeing that, I think, almost as more inspirational than negative, um, which is which is interesting.
0: Uh, Shannon, what about your experience as a swimmer? And how does that you know, I know you're kind of been more on the marketing side with a lot of your research, but how's that influenced your kind of research experience?
1: Um, well, I think a lot of it actually probably comes more from my experience with my family. Um, uh, my dad's been in broadcast news for thirty five years. Um, and so I kind of grew up seeing all that and it was very, very normal for me, um, and seeing, you know, when people have make you know idiotic comments in at, you know at press conferences, and he would come he would bring that home. And so, you know, and kind of uh, mock them mercilessly at home, uh, which I think we all know that that's probably probably where it comes from for me. I was going to say, you come
0: by it naturally then.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I really do. Um, And so I got used to seeing kind of both sides of that um, and just kind of, I really enjoy looking at crisis communication and how, you know, when there are issues, how are your organizations addressing them, Um, which I think is really important. My uh, senior year at Cincinnati, they cut uh, the funding for all the scholarships for uh, our men's team as well as I think it was the men's track and men's cross country. Um, and so, kind of having that experience, it was kind of eye-opening to see how organizations had that function and how they went about, you know. Having that crisis communication, having to come out and say, "Oh, this is what we're doing," um, and, and having to address a fair amount of backlash um, at the at the time, UC Swimming had some very very talented athletes, and so it was uh, frowned upon pretty uh, Um, And so that's me towards a lot of that crisis communication. Um, But I will say, having been an athlete in college, one of the things that I really learned was, you know, those skills of time management and balance me uh, as a writer and as a researcher, um, because I'm forced to, you know, have my time blocked out. So whether, you know, I have my time blocked out for research, I have my time blocked out for writing, I have time blocked out for, you know, class prep. Um, And so for me, that's kind of informed more of my job almost. Um, than necessarily on my other experiences. I mean, all, all the experiences add to it, uh, but it's not really everything. I will say that uh, when I, this is a project I've, we've kind of been working on, um, when the Brock Turner story hit and his sentencing came down, that was a really interesting kind of uh, culmination of everything for me. Uh, Brock Turner was a swimmer his older brother actually started at Cincinnati right after I graduated. Um, And so it was very interesting to see how my friends on Facebook who swam with his brother reacted as well as seeing, uh, you know, how that conversation on Twitter was going. And so for me, that was really interesting. It was a really nice kind of combination of the two, my two interests. Um, I, I do a lot of research on Twitter and things like that. And so, kind of being able to look at that for me, it was a really nice project. Now it was really dark to work on. And it was one of those, you're like, I need to work on this like once every other week, because otherwise I'm just going to curl up and cry and be like, the world is horrible. Um, But then at the same time, it was really kind of refreshing and uplifting to see that, you know, women were starting to come out and say, Hey, this happened to me. Hey, this was a problem. And it wasn't just, you know, your average person, but you started to see a lot more um, of your very prominent. You had athletes, you had more celebrities coming out and saying, hey, this happened to me. And so it kind of turned into more of a community of women, which um, reminded me a lot of being on a team.
0: You guys have both mentioned uh, studying social media and portrayals and use of social media. Um and I was I I tend to come at it I think we it's interesting is I think we all kind of come at it from slightly different perspectives I tend to come at it from a more journalistic use journalistic routine use and how and, and that and, and and I'm wondering you know this is kind of coming out of my own research and trying to jumpstart some projects but from both of your perspectives I mean what's What's the, what's interesting about sports and media and social media right now? Cause it's been around so long, you know, I remember a couple of years ago at IAX, I think it was in New York when we had that big round table discussion of like studying Twitter versus not studying Twitter, which seems so weirdly antiquated looking back on it like five years ago, four or five years ago. Um, But now like now, now that that's kind of in the past and like they're established, what's interesting right now about the sports media and social media world?
1: Um one of the things that I find really interesting is um, how leagues and schools are, I don't want to say putting a muzzle on athletes, but I kind of feel like, you know, social media, you know, athletes are expected to be much more limited. You know, I, I think it's Nick Saban that uh, doesn't let his players, you know, be on Twitter. And I, I think there was somebody else as well, um, or they're very restricted on their social media when they're in season. Um, and so I, th- I think it's kind of interesting how there's been this really strong push for you know b- being really image conscious on social media um, and really trying to play that up and fit within the overall voice of the organization. So to me, I think that's really pretty interesting. Um, they're really just using it as another way to directly communicate with fans and use that same voice that they're going to use in commercials and they're going to use, um, on any of their printed materials. And so to me, I kind of, I look at that and I think that's really interesting to see the image. And I don't want to say there's kind of a lessening of freedom, um, but it kind of seems like there's a little bit more of a corralling, especially with your younger athletes, um, as to what's,
2: what they're able to say. Yeah, and I think I think probably the most interesting thing that I've watched over the past couple of years is is how it's changing and how people are still trying to figure it out. Um, because I think you can point to, to several different entities and say, how do they not know to do this by now? How do they not know how to use this? Um, and do they fully understand what they're using it for and, and how the best way is to reach and engage with their fans? Um, you know, the amount of accounts that don't engage on social media is, is kind of a, a baffling to me. Um, but I also agree. You know how athletes are treated uh, with respect in college to social media, um, the different rules and restrictions that are placed on on athletes in social media. Um, I remember having a conversation with a couple athletes when I was still at Auburn, and one of them was a swimmer, and she said, "We are not allowed to post pictures of ourselves on social media in bathing suits. Um, the guys are, but we are not." Hmm. Which I thought was really interesting. I'm like, "But you're a swimmer, right?" <laughs> uniform is a bathing suit. How does this, how does this work out? And she said, well, if it's competition, it's okay. But you know, when we're at our training trip, we can't, um, or if we're down at the beach with friends, we can't post pictures of ourselves on the beach in bathing suits, but the guys can. Like that's,
1: that's like all the issues that we see with like high school dress codes where it's very, it's very different what women experience versus men.
2: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, even I just I presented a study at Ajax this year that looked at NBC's Instagram feeds. They started it in London um, and how it's changed. And it went really from pictures to um, this year, it almost became a supplemental television element. They were doing highlights, they were doing interviews, they were doing all sorts of video. Um, so to see kind of the evolution of how they've used their account over the past four years was interesting. And so that's sort of where I'm looking for what I think is interesting to watch how people are changing. Um, and trying to keep up and keep an interest and keep a following
0: I, i'm i'm curious too have you guys um being both women who are participating and studying sports which is obviously traditionally a male male dominated environment um kind of from a professional standpoint you know what is ha, have there been any problems any issues and i remember lauren you saying something like you were surprised that people could study sports have you had any faced any kind of blowback or kind of resistance to, you know, oh my gosh, the girl is covering, wants to write about sports or anything like that?
2: On social media, yes. Um, and I've also gotten backlash of the fact that I am a woman who talks about sport on social media. Um, from our academic community, no, though, of course not. Um, but yeah, on the social media realm, ab- absolutely. Uh, both as I talk about my research and both, and when I talk about myself as an athlete, Um mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's blowback, there's the comments, there's, you know, the things that I won't repeat on your very lovely podcast, but of course I've experienced that. And I expect I'll keep experiencing that. Um, so, yeah. I say
1: that I've been very lucky uh, to not really, at least not that I can recall in the last couple of years. Um, I haven't really experienced any of that real vitriol from anyone, um, at least not in the Uh, at least not on social media. So I'm, I'm pretty grateful for that. Um, I will say, you know, here and there, uh, I, I will say there is this one uh, event that just stands out in my mind. I was, uh, I was out at a bar with some friends and we were talking about, I don't know, it was, it was some football game. We're talking about, you know, defenses and things like that. Um, you know, what the team was going to need. And I was making some comments and one gentleman that was sitting next to us anytime I said something, he would completely ignore it. But someone next to me could say the exact same thing. Um, and he would totally respond. And and so we just, we, we kind of just looked at each other and he started repeating me verbatim to see (laughs) if, if the guy would respond. Um, and it it was kind of hilarious. And then I will say when he tried to tell me that Tony Romo was a better uh, quarterback than Peyton Manning, I just, I just looked at him and said, stop talking. You need to go take a lap and think about what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I don't think he really appreciated that. But, oh. you know, if you're going to make that comment, you need to go take a lap and think about what you just said. And reevaluate some of your life choices.
2: You know, I'll piggyback on that, too. I've also gotten comments in real life. Um, I've gotten comments when I've been out running. I've gotten comments when I've been out on my bike. And I've even gotten comments when I've been at a triathlon. Um, I was at one a couple of years ago where we were lined up to start the swim. And the man that was next to me was blatantly making, you know, very sexualized and, and gross comments, you know, to the point that I ended up moving away from him. But I thought, why am I moving? But, uh, you know, so it, it's not just social media, at least as a woman that that is still experiencing this. I don't think. Yeah, I will.
1: I will say I I, I was just going to say I definitely now that you do mention that it's like if I'm out running, um, I'm very particular about where I run yep. um, just because I'm like, it's a safety issue. There's some great trails I would love to run on, but I just I don't feel safe. Um, and I'm like, I'm not going to myself in you know that position there was one time i was out running and it was a place i would very I very regularly run and there was a guy in one of those you know big over-the-top trucks that basically was following me as i'm running and it was just so un- uncomfortable i mean my splits were outstanding on that run but <laughs> it was not a good experience for me. And so I didn't take that route for quite a while after that, even though it was a route that I absolutely loved.
2: In my, in my Sport, Media & Society class this past semester, we were talking about Title IX and access to sport and barriers to participation. Uh, and somebody said, well, there are no barriers anymore. And I said, okay, how many, <laughs> how many of you go out and run? And a lot of them raised their hands. And I said, when you go out and run, do you let somebody know where you go? do you make conscious choices about the clothes you put on so nobody yells at you? Um, do you send some, some sort of e crumb? Um, you know, do you run with somebody else because you prefer not to run alone? And every woman was like, absolutely. And all the guys were like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Why would I do that? And I said, there barriers to participation still exist. I said, if you can't run out your front door, not picking an outfit, not letting somebody know where you go, not doing something to keep yourself safe, that's a barrier and that's a barrier to participation. they were all going, Oh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) and and, and it's gotta be weird. It's gotta be frustrating to hear that. But also you, you know, I I would assume there's a little bit of, all right, now if you see the light bulb go off, is there a little bit of kind of good feeling like, all right, maybe now they're going to get it in a good way.
1: I hope so. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's definitely becoming, um, People are becoming more conscientious and more aware of it. I think my, my students, at least, and you know my friends are starting to be much more aware of these things. And you know, I've I've had friends that you know, will call each other out for saying things. And you know, it, it's I think becoming people yeah. are becoming much more cognizant, uh, which you know makes me happy.
0: Um, and, and it's just kind of noteworthy that we're recording this on June 15th, which is the day that the, uh, Chris Hardwick news broke on, on Twitter. The accusations kind of came up against him and how much this is an ongoing kind of story, not just in society, but in media and on social media and how, how, um, how this is not kind of a one-time deal that happened last year. It's definitely an ongoing conversation that we, that we need to have kind of in all facets of media and all facets of society too.
1: And it is it is absolutely pervasive. I mean, I think about Cam Newton laughing during the press conference when a female reporter asked him a very reasonable question about gameplay. And he was just like laughing because a girl was asking him a question about that. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh So I ask all my guests this, uh, what is the best thing you've read lately?
1: I, I, I will say I was pretty entertained by the, uh, uh, the Ringer Brian Colangelo story. That was probably the most fun thing from my perspective. I know that sounds weird uh, that I've read in a while.
0: No, that was fabulous. And uh, when uh, Galen was on the podcast a few weeks ago, we I mentioned that. And what I loved about that story was, aside from how insane it was, it was structured in a way where it just got, like, crazier and crazier the more you got into it. Like, it wasn't... I said this on, Galen, on the podcast with Galen. It wasn't like the inverted pyramid where they led with the news. Like it got you deep into the story and it just got every, like every paragraph was something weirder and deeper. And it was, it was, a, I mean, it was a fascinating read.
1: Yeah. You just didn't want to stop reading. You're like, Oh, it was just like, it, this is like a good book. You can't put down.
0: Right.
2: Do I, do I have to give a deep and serious answer? Because I've been reading a lot about the, the sexual abuse allegations across women's sport. And that's not really like good. Um, so can I give a more light hearted? I really enjoyed reading this. Yeah, please. Yes. Uh, the story I sent you guys earlier about the man who made tacos. From his- <laughs> oh, oh that, that's a oh, no, no, no. <laughs> the man made tacos from his own amputated foot and then invited his friends over to come and enjoy them. How do you not say that's a great story? I,
0: I, 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 I saw that story on social media a few, a few weeks ago. Um, I'm gonna, we're gonna let Shannon throw up a little bit. Um, but I, <laughs> I, 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 I have many questions. Like, did it say how, did he slow cook it? I mean, I, I mean, cause it's a foot. I mean, it's gonna be bony. So you gotta figure it's gotta be more of a fast, like a saute, right?
1: I think they said it was, uh, a, a piece of, um, something from right on top of his shin on uh, and, and they showed some of the pictures how it was prepared i can't remember what it was because i was just kind of horrified well ideally uh, yeah ideally, was...
0: that's gonna be a muscular piece so you're gonna want to like flash fry that or something but do you serve it with no, pico so... or
2: it, it was marinated overnight and then it was sauteed with peppers onions and limes alongside corn tortillas and a tomatillo sauce
0: well, at least he used the corn tortillas. He wasn't a flower man like right. a, he wasn't a monster. So, in <laughs> <laughs> that way, at least. So,
1: All right. I'm, I'm uh, and apparently in that whole ball, thing, but one of his his friends were was able to keep it down.
2: Yeah, I think he invited eleven and one said, "I don't even want to partake," but the other ten were like, "Dude, let's eat your foot." So wait.
0: He he to, he told them before.
2: Oh yeah, they all knew.
0: Okay, so it's, it wasn't a surprise. How do you think of my tacos? Hey, guess what situation?
2: Yeah, I'm thinking that would be a really good way to lose all of your friends immediately. <laughs> like that, it was my foot. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: I guess you kind of would need informed consent on that one. Yeah, but Shannon, what if what if somebody made bacon out of their shin? their shin muscle.
2: Can you, you kid? Make- you can't make bacon out of a shin muscle.
0: I mean, challenge accepted. Now, um,
2: there there is a barbecue place um, in the next town up from us that we learned does turkey ribs, which I didn't know you could do turkey ribs. So I'm going to say if you can do turkey ribs, you can make shin bacon.
0: Shin bacon, absolutely. I I I think I I I think I think you know this is the next frontier, definitely. Clearly, uh,
1: that's going to be a hard pass for me. Hard hard pass. Um, I will take my bacon nice and crispy um i will take bacon pretty much any flavor i will take except for foot i will take chocolate covered bacon um
2: but shin bacon could be crispy
1: it's all prepared right but it's it's from the shin and that's just i i no no no
0: so did you have bacon at your wedding is the question
1: we did not (sighs) i know
0: blasphemy
1: I, I thought about it, um, but then I was a little concerned that I would, while they were preparing it before the ceremony, I would end up in the kitchen eating it and then get bacon on my dress.
2: Um, legit concern. Sure. Yeah, i allow it. it. Yeah.
1: I will say that uh, one of my bridesmaids before the ceremony, because um, I was complaining about being hungry. This is also after I'd had... Uh, cinnamon crunch bagels at breakfast, and I'd had pizza at lunch. Um, She went and got me a cupcake because I was hungry. And so there's definitely pictures of me eating cupcakes before I get married. I'm fully in my dress and everything. Yep, just chowing down on a cupcake. As you do. I got no crumbs on me.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Uh, All right, Lauren, Shannon, if people want to follow you and uh, see the work you're up to, where's the best place to do so?
2: Um, I've been a little bit more active on Instagram lately, but Instagram and Twitter um, are both places. My handle on Twitter is um, at L-A-U-R-N Smith, um, and my Instagram handle is LMR Smith.
1: Um, For me, it's probably Twitter, uh, and I actually have two different accounts that I use. Uh, One of them is because I have this ongoing uh, Twitter assignment that I use for my Capstone students, uh, and for 10 weeks of the semester, we post up a different question related to marketing and professionalism and kind of all kinds of things related to what's going on in the world of business. And so it's with, uh, between five and six different universities. And so because of that, I have an account dedicated to that and that's P R O F S M K T G. Uh, and then my other account is, I do talk about sports and things like that, but it's my personal account and it's, Sassy Smack S A S S Y S M C. Excellent. Um, and so either the totally my I pretty much just like pictures of food uh, and my cats and random places I go. Uh, and so yeah, so it's not really the most fun to follow unless you really like pictures of my cats, who are both just adorable. Your
0: cats are pretty awesome. I'll give you that.
1: Yes. Anyway, <laughs> I mean Winston Perch has he's pretty legit.
2: <laughs> All
0: right, guys, this has been a lot of fun. We'll have to reconvene this roundtable at some other point in the future. But thanks for uh, joining me today.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having us.
0: As always, thanks for listening to The Other 51. You can find show notes for this episode and all our episodes at sportsmediaguide.com on the Other 51 tab. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. I can highly recommend Overcast for this. Our theme music is by Ellie Moritz.